0: It's good to be back inside and especially good to be able to sit up front and hear people's voices as you all sing and lift your hearts up to the Lord. Well, when Nelson Mandela was elected president of South Africa, he formed a commission. It was called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Mandela understood for his country to heal it needed to move beyond cycles of retribution and violence that had plagued so many other countries during their transition from oppression to democracy. He said the goal must not be justice, but reconciliation. And for reconciliation to take place, people needed avenues to tell the truth about the atrocities that they had done to others. They needed an opportunity to, to demonstrate change, and they needed an opportunity to ask for forgiveness and those offended to offer forgiveness. Archbishop <clears throat> Desmond Tudu writes concerning this commission, We have had a jurisprudence, a penology in Africa that was not retrib- ret- retributive but restorative. Traditionally, when people quarreled, the main intention was not to punish the miscreant, but to restore good relations. That is something we need in this world, a world that is polarized, a world that is fragmented, a world that destroys people. It is also something we need in our families and friendships. For retribution wounds and divides us from one another. Only restoration can heal us and make us whole. If peace is our goal, there can be no future without truth, change, and forgiveness. Now Moses teaches us that for healing between brothers, families, friends, tribes, or nations, the goal must not be justice first, but reconciliation. And for reconciliation to take place, we need truth, we need a shift in people's hearts, and we need forgiveness. And so the two main points that I want us to look at from our text this morning, first is a call to forgiveness and truth. And then secondly, the need for change. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful this morning for the privilege of being able to come into this place and to worship you. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts through your word, that you convict us, that you would heal us, that you would transform us so that we might go out from this place different people than when we came in. And so Holy Spirit, have your way with us. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So if you have your bulletins, I encourage you to pull those out or you can look in your Bible. And the first point is a call to forgiveness and truth. Now, after Joseph was sold to Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh, the Lord was with Joseph and granted him favor in Potiphar's eyes. And the Lord attended to Joseph, and he made him overseer of Potiphar's house. He put him in charge of all that he had. Now, Potiphar's wife, seeing how handsome Joseph was, she cast her eyes on him, and she kept trying to get Joseph to sleep with her. But Joseph, fearing God and understanding his role as the overseer of his master's house, he refused to sleep with her. Now, Potiphar's wife, she wasn't too happy with Joseph. She didn't take kindly to him saying no to her, and so she made up this lie And she basically said that Joseph came in and he forced himself on her. And she told Potiphar that, and Potiphar was enraged. And he put Joseph in prison. Now, while in prison, the Lord was with Joseph. And he was able to rightly interpret two prisoners' dreams. Now, meanwhile, Pharaoh, he has a dream that no one is able to interpret. So when Pharaoh hears about Joseph and his abilities to interpret dreams, he brings Joseph to his palace. He tells him the dream, and Joseph rightly interprets the Pharaoh's dream. Joseph finds favor in Pharaoh's sight, and he is appointed as the overseer of Pharaoh's house. Joseph is second in command. He's the second most powerful person in Egypt. And because God had revealed himself to Joseph and he revealed that there was going to be this severe famine in the land for seven years, Joseph stored up grain in great abundance. And so when the seven years of famine landed and became a part of Egyptian life, the Egyptians had plenty of food to eat. And people from all over the earth came to Egypt To Joseph to buy grain. Now, God used all these events to transform Joseph from an entitled, naively arrogant teenager into a humble, wise, and forgiving 30 year old man. Joseph understood what his brothers intended for evil, God used not only for his good, but for the good of people. And in chapter 42, we see that Joseph, he doesn't seek justice or retribution when he meets his brothers. Because Joseph, knowing that God had forgiven him for his arrogance, Joseph had already forgiven his brothers. And yet he knew that for reconciliation to take place, not only are we to forgive... We are also to speak truth about the offenses we have done. And we're to change. Now, I think it's important that we pause here for a moment. That we, as men and women and children who profess faith in Jesus Christ, forgiveness is not an option for us. This morning I received an email from a friend that used to be on staff with me. And she was talking about um, watching Jan Hanner's service and how beautiful that was. And then she went on to share some private things. And at the very end, she said to me, Todd, the thing that I want you to remember is to always be quick to forgive. And she had no idea that I was preaching this sermon this morning. And I just, as I read it, I was like, okay, God, you're, you're telling me, you're reaffirming to me and to us that for those of us who profess faith in Christ, we have been forgiven. And therefore, we are called to forgive regardless if those who offend us ever apologize or ever change. We are called to be forgiving people because we have been forgiven much. But in order to reconcile with someone and to continue to have a relationship with them, it needs to move not just to have forgiveness, but there also needs to be truth spoken. And Joseph, he understood that. And he longed not just to forgive his brothers, he longed to be fully reconciled to them. The forgiveness was there. And what he's longing for as we move into chapter 42 is for them to embrace truth, to confess what they have done. So in verse 1, Moses tells us, that a famine had spread throughout the land of Canaan. And so when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he sends his sons to go get food. And then in verses 3 and 4, we see Jacob's favoritism raise its ugly head again as he sends ten of his sons, but he keeps Benjamin home with him. For he feared that harm might happen to him. And then in verse 6, because Joseph was governor over the land, he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. So after arriving in Egypt, the ten brothers, they approached Joseph. And not recognizing him, they bowed themselves before him, fulfilling Joseph's first dream. And then in verse 7, Moses tells us that Joseph he recognized his brothers immediately. The brothers had no idea who Joseph was, but Joseph knew who they were. And so what does he do? He treated them like strangers, and he, spro- he spoke roughly to them. Here, Joseph begins to employ what some might say is a cruel tactic. And if, if Joseph was motivated Not by love and a desire for reconciliation, it would have been a cruel tactic. But Joseph here is trying to get his brothers to tell the truth about the injustices they had committed. And he does it in such a clever way. He does this by literally accusing them of being spies. Spies are deceitful, they seek to see the hidden things of the land. In verse 9, you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And in verses 10 through 11, the brothers, responding to Joseph, say to him, No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We're not spies. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. And you look at verse 12. Joseph, realizing that they've yet to own what they've done, they've yet to confess the truth, he continues to push them towards the truth by accusing them yet again of lying, of being spies. And he said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And then in verse 13, Joseph's tactics, they begin to cause cracks in the brothers. And while not completely owning the truth for what they've done to Joseph, they at least begin to open up and to be more honest. They say to Joseph, we, your servants, were 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan, all of which is true. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, which was also true. And one is no more which was also true, as they referred to Joseph. They acknowledged that their 12 brothers, they acknowledged that Benjamin was at home, they acknowledged that one had died or had been lost. But they still did not acknowledge the truth of what they had done to Joseph. And Joseph knew that, and he knew for reconciliation to take place, not only did he need to forgive them, but they needed to speak the truth. And so he turns up the heat even more. He accuses them yet again. He says, you're not telling the truth. It is I said to you. I am the one. You do not fear God. And look at verses 18 through 20. He takes them and he throws them into prison, hoping that in the heat of prison, that will break them and make them honest men. And then on the third day, Joseph says to them, Do this and you will live. For I fear God. Do you fear God? If you are honest men, again, he's longing for them to be honest. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined here while we're in custody. And let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. Now, at this point, after being falsely accused again and again of being spies, the brothers, they speak the truth about what they've done. They finally confess what they had done to Joseph. Look at verses 21 and 22. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. And that we saw the distress of his soul. When he begged us, we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. The brothers, they're standing right in front of Joseph, and they're for the first time, they're being honest about what they did to Joseph. They're acknowledging their sin. They're confessing what they've done. And unbeknownst to them, they didn't know that Joseph understood their language. Because Joseph had been using an interpreter. So unbeknownst to them, they confessed the truth that Joseph had been seeking all along. And I love Joseph's response in verse 24a. Then he turned away from them and he wept. Joseph had already forgiven them, but he wanted to be reconciled as well. And the first step was the brothers being honest with themselves about what they had done to Joseph. And unbeknownst to them, they were being honest right there in front of Joseph. The brothers were finally telling the truth. And by so doing, they thought they were on the road back to Canaan. But in actuality... They were on the road to healing and reconciliation with Joseph. If we are going to reconcile with those who we've offended or those who have offended us, it begins first with forgiveness. And as believers, that's not an option for us. It's not to seek after retribution and justice. It's to seek then after reconciliation And the only way reconciliation can take place is by us telling the truth, by us being honest with ourselves and others about what we have done. I wonder, is there someone, or maybe it's not one particular individual, but over the past year and a half, there's a group of people that in your heart, God is calling you to reconcile with will you ask for and offer forgiveness of those individuals or that particular group? And will you have the courage to go to them and speak the truth of your part in the conflict and then have the courage to invite them to speak the truth to you? For healing and reconciliation to take place, we need to forgive. And we also need to be truth tellers. In South Africa, many people participated in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Men and women, they came forward, some even facing those they had wounded. And they told the truth about the atrocities they had done. And they took responsibility for their sin. They asked for forgiveness. And those who were offended forgave and also spoke the truth about their hatred and their heart toward them. And as a result, the country began to move toward deeper healing and reconciliation. Reconciliation begins with forgiveness and truth. But it doesn't stop there. In order for us to be fully reconciled with one another, we also need to see a change. A change in our hearts. A change in the hearts of those who have offended. So the second point this morning is the need for change. And it's very interesting as you look at our passage this morning that there's several times where you you can just tell that Joseph is longing to reveal himself to his brothers. But he holds back. And he doesn't reconcile with them because he had not seen the change in them. A change where they were broken open to God. And the first time we see this is after Joseph overhears his brothers. We see his desire to be open. In verse 24, Joseph is moved to tears as he hears his brother's confession. And he's so moved that he actually has to leave the room. The brothers, they admitted what they had done. And this deeply touched Joseph. But Joseph didn't sense a brokenness and a deep change in their hearts. And so he decides maybe by replicating what he went through himself, Then they'll be broken. Then there'll be a shift. Then there'll be a change. And so what does he do? He takes Simeon from them. He bonds them, Simeon, right in front of their eyes. He literally does to them what they did to him. But still no change. And so Joseph, he has their sacks filled with grain and money, and he sends them back to Jacob so that they might bring Benjamin back to Egypt. And at the end of chapter 42 and the beginning of chapter 43, it took some time to convince Jacob to let Benjamin go back with them. But finally, Jacob agrees to allow Benjamin to go back to Egypt. And then in chapter 43, verses 26 through 29, we see another occasion where it's clear that Joseph wants to reveal himself to his brothers. The brothers come to Joseph's home. They bow down to him again. And then in verse 29, and he lifted up his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. And he said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And when Joseph laid eyes on Benjamin, he was moved, so moved that he blesses Benjamin, saying to him, God be gracious to you, son. But instead of revealing himself, because there still was no shift, In the brother's heart, the text tells us that Joseph, he hurried out. For his compassion grew warm for his brothers. And he sought a place to weep. He went to his chamber and he wept and he wept and he wept there. Because he had seen that he would forgiven his brothers and that there was truth, but there still wasn't a shift in their hearts. And he was so grieved by that. So he continued with his tactics. And in chapter 45, we see Joseph in his long suffering toward his brothers. He commands his steward to fill all of their sacks with grain and then to place his silver cup in Benjamin's bag. Then after the brothers leave, he tells the steward to go after the brothers, stop them, tell them that someone has stolen Joseph's silver cup. And when that happens, of course, the brothers, they didn't know about the cup. They deny it. And then the steward searches every bag. And at the end, he comes to Benjamin's bag. And what does he pull out? He pulls out a silver cup. And at that point, the brothers are distraught. And they all go back to Joseph's house. They fall to the ground. And Joseph tells them, that they can all go back home to their father, except for Benjamin. But Benjamin, the one who had stolen the silver cup, had to remain. And then in chapter 44, verse 33, Joseph finally sees the change in the brothers that he had been hoping for all along. And what does that change? Judah says to Joseph, don't take the boy, take me instead. Judah, the one who was one of the ringleaders in getting Joseph sold into slavery, he offers himself as a substitutionary sacrifice. Judah says to Joseph, let me substitute for my brother. Let me bear the blame. Tim Keller says when Judah offers a vicarious atonement, that's the point at which Joseph says, now I can reveal myself. My brothers have changed. My brothers have been broken open to God. Now we can be reconciled. Judah's substitutionary sacrifice was necessary for the reconciliation of the family. The change that is needed for reconciliation to take place, it's a heart change. It's a movement from selfishness to selflessness. It's a movement where we don't consider our interests first, but we consider the other's interests. It's a movement where we're willing to die, to give up our lives so that others might live. It's love. And what is love? Love is being willing to sacrifice ourselves unconditionally, wrapped in humility, this is the change that is necessary for reconciliation. And if you are like me and you know your own heart, you might be thinking, those who have, I've hurt, those you've hurt, those who've hurt us, it's possible, of course, to forgive. It's possible even to speak the truth. But to actually change, To actually move from selfishness to selflessness. To actually be willing to give up your life. To consider others' interests before yourself. That's a tough call. And left to ourselves, none of us, none of us, none of us can do that. But the good news of the gospel is that while we were still steeped in our own sin, and our hearts were far from shifting we had a brother who said to our estranged father, let me be the substitute on a cross so that your justice might be met, so that their sins are paid in full, and through faith in me, they can be forgiven, changed, and reconciled to you. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we can be reconciled to Christ and to one another. Through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we can be changed from the inside out. And we can move from selfishness to selflessness. We can acknowledge the offenses that we have committed against others freely because we know that ultimately our Savior has forgiven us. And we can move toward others that have offended us because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Grace affords us the basis to speak and to receive truth and grace. And it moves us to consider others better than ourselves, to die to self, to sacrifice on behalf of others, to change. And when forgiveness, truth, and change happens, then reconciliation happens. We are living in a deeply, deeply divided world. We have people that are pro-mask, anti-mask, pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine. We've had people that are on this political spectrum, that political spectrum. This pandemic has brought out the best in us, and it's brought out the worst in us. But we, as followers of Christ, have a brother who died for us even before we even changed or shifted or did anything, so that we might be reconciled to our Heavenly Father. And He dwells in us. And because He dwells in us, we can forgive those who've offended us, and we can boldly ask for forgiveness those that we've offended. We can speak the truth about those offenses. We can hear the truth about how we've offended. And we can change. We can have hearts that are willing to to lay down our lives, not just for our friends, but for our enemies. And when we do, we will be reconciled to one another. And that unity will speak loudly to our world. Because we are certainly not seeing it out there. But if we can do that here at Hope Chapel, if we can love and care for one another and be united with one another and show grace to one another and have short accounts with one another and forgive one another and speak the truth and have attitudes of selflessness and being willing to lay down our lives for one another, the world will notice. And they won't just praise us because that's not what we're after. They'll ask us, how is this possible? And we can say, Because we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who went to a cross. He died a death he did not deserve to die. He paid our penalty for our sins. And because of his resurrection life, we can be different, all of us who profess faith in him. And he's calling you into relationship with him. That is the good news of the gospel. That is the good news of this text. And this morning... We get to celebrate that good news as we come to this table and feast. Because this table is a a visible demonstration. Jesus was gathered with his disciples. He had already forgiven Judas, knowing what Judas was going to do. He fed him. He fed his disciples, knowing that they were going to desert him. And he died. And he rose again. So that all of us who profess faith in him, we can come and we can feast together. Unified together we can come. And that is this table. And it is open to us. And so if you'll stand with me.